Hi, welcome to the Chaz Palmentary Show. Here it is, Monday at 11 o'clock. What does that mean? A new episode. Now, should I say, is this guy old school? Wow, is he old school? But he's more than old school. Is he interesting? Is he interesting? Remember years ago they had that uh, Reader's Digest? And if you looked at Reader's Digest in, in all the supermarkets, it said the most interesting guy I ever met. Remember that? Or the most interesting character I ever met. Well, this guy is right up there. Seriously. If you took this guy's life, if I sat down with him for a half hour, I could come up with about 16 screenplays. His, his life is like 100 novels. I'm serious. I mean, he's, he's so different, so classic. He's so fucking classic. Uh, he ran for the mayor of New York. He doesn't hold back. When he's got to say something, he says it. He doesn't care. Let the chips fall where they may. He just says it the way it is. I could tell you right now, he's great to have as a friend, but he must be a bitch to have as an enemy. So I know this guy. And we're going to get into his life and his story. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Bo Deedle. Bo! Yes, thank you for having me. I love you. You know that. I know that. And I love you too, brother. I lo- now, Bo. People know you so many ways. Can you just tell me, and we're going to talk for a little bit, where, where did you grow up? You know, it's just funny what you're talking about, Chaz, because I had a meeting at Rails the other night with Nicholas Pelleggi, Kate Talese, and Neil Leffler, that famous photographer. Wow. We're conducting an actual documentary, four-part series. Who is Bo Deedle? It's just funny when you started giving me the <laughs> Oh, Wow. So basically, now I got Ira Rosen from 60 Minutes wants to jump in. Talk about a remarkable life. I I had a remarkable life. I ain't over yet, but I grew up. Oh, in yes. Oz- I grew up in Ozone Park, Queens. I grew up with Ra- uh, Ralphie Scopo, the father, Joey yeah. Scopo, the son, Joey and Ralphie Scopo, and Johnny Gotti, and all the guys over there in Ozone Park. Now, I grew up with a dad that was born in Germany. And I thought my name was Little Fucking Guinea because he used to take his belt buckle off and he used to beat the shit out of me all the time. If I looked at my mother wrong, he would whack the hell out of me. And he he kept me in line because when he would tell me to be home at 8.30 at night when I was a young kid, 14 years old, right. 15 years old, I was home. And they were going to the airport over there at Idlewild Airport. They were going shopping, all the guys. Now, you got to remember who I was hanging out with. Dennis Green, Foxy and New Lots, Johnny Gotti, all the guys in the world. And But I used to say, you know, I, I got to go home. Otherwise, my father's going to beat the living shit out of me. So I went home. He knew my father deep down inside that if I stayed out there with him, I was going to be in trouble. And what happens wow. is that all I knew was a lot of people don't know in my neighborhood, in Ozone Park, in the Italian neighborhood in 62, 63, we had a really bad problem with heroin. All the wise guys' sons were heroin addicts. We wow. had a surge of, I know 10 of the kids that died of overdose. And one kid I used to hold his arm with a strap. I was built like a brick shit house my whole life. And I used to do the pull-ups, the push-ups, the sit-ups, the right. squatters. We were national champions in every high school. We competed at Quantico, Virginia, the Marine Corps base. Number one individual in high school, myself and my team. So I was in shape. I, my physical strength, strength really took me through a lot of things. So now all of a sudden, Ralphie Scopo, the son, 
Well, he's dead. They're all dead now. And he was into this heroin. And the father, Ralph Scopo, who was in charge of all five crime families, he was the one that dished out the money from the construction, concrete, and all that stuff. That was wow. Ralphie Scopo Sr. He was named in the commission case as being the guy who earned more money for the five families than anybody. So now Ralphie was like a second father to me, Ralphie Scopo, the father, because he wanted me to hang around with the brother, I mean, with the son. He wanted to get away from this heroin crap. And I used to be able to have short sleeve shirts because I had no tracks on my friggin' arm. So I used to go have broccoli rob and veal cullets at Scopo's house every Thursday night. And I was the kid that would be there. The father wanted me to stay with the son. And even Joey Scopo, the the, the, the other brother, he had right. to get machine gun during the Colombo War there, uh, Joey Scopo. Right. So basically I hung around. So now I'm 17 years old. And I took this stupid cop test. I, when I was 16, I walked into a school. They gave me a number two pencil. About 10 minutes, I went through it. They showed you a clock, asked you what time. So I didn't want to be a cop. The only con contact I had with cops was the Irish guy putting on my shins with the nightstick, beating the living shit out of me when I was in the park at night. So I, wow. limped, home. I limped home. My father said, what happened to you? And I wouldn't answer. He stopped beating me up. And that's all I had to do is say cop. And he beat me for the next hour. So I learned one thing. I never, ever would tell my father if I have any interaction with police officers. So now oh. fast, fast forward, 17 years old. I wanted to be a gym teacher. I was a, on a high bar champion, parallel bar, number one in the nation with the physical fitness team, was the JFK physical fitness team, four hours a day. We did push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, squat thrusts. And my whole life was being in this enormous shape from doing this stuff. Right. So I depended on that strength my whole life. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So now I'm 17. I want to go to Springfield College and be a gym teacher. That's all I wanted to be. We had no money. We could, I couldn't go to college. So I had two, uh, 10 scholarships to two-year colleges, Corning, New York. I didn't even know what these freaking places were. So Ralphie Scobo said, what are you going to do? He goes, why don't you become a concrete laborer? We run the union. Go see Sammy the Weasel on 33rd Street. Tell him <laughs> Ralphie sent you over there. I'm making $5.95 an hour back there. I buy a new Corvette, British Green, 1968, $3,500. I'm rocking and rolling. I had the long hair. I built like a brick shit house. I used to dress up with a suit on, Chaz. I used to go to Jimmy Wesson's. I used to go to the Blue Angel, and I used to act like I had a phony draft card. I was only sometimes 16 years old, and wow. I had a phony draft card. And then all of a sudden, I used to go out there and I used to hang out. I loved the look of wise guys. I loved it. I just I used to go up to the corner there. Guys would dress sharp, sharp cars. So now I start working as a concrete laborer. Right. And everybody said about OSHA. We didn't have OSHA. The only OSHA we have is the Atlantic Ocean. I saw four guys die in construction. Now Ralphie Scopo calls me to the club and he says, Bo, they got this job downtown called the World Trade Center. You could become an iron worker as with a permit. That means I didn't have a book, but I could go, go meet Mikey Black down there, tell him Ralph Scopo say, yeah. I go see Mikey Black. And next thing I'm a connector, iron worker connected with stud wrench, putting steel together, putting bolts in there, and tower A, tower B. And now I'm up there and again, I'm, I'm doing this freeze, freezing weather coming off the Atlantic. And I'm saying to myself, I'm looking at guys 30 years old. They look like they were 50. I says, Am I, do I want to do this the rest of my life? So they called me for the cop thing the third time. And they tell me, if you don't come in, you're going to lose it. I said, let me try this cop crap. 
I'm on the Academy roof. I'll never forget it. Uh, the word is, I guess, epiphany. I don't know what it's called. I'm on, yes, I got sir. a gray uniform, no gun, no badge. Two blocks away, I see a guy going up the fire escape. Put it this way. He wasn't a fireman. It was like a light went off. I, was, I run off the roof. The, the sergeant's yelling, Dino, where you going? I'll be right back. I climb on a fire escape. I'm going down. I'm chasing this guy five blocks. I grab him in the head like, boom, boom. I hit him a couple of times. He had robbed two rings out of the apartment. So that was like the epiphany, the first part. Of it. Wow. Okay, so then I became a cop. So I was in uniform a short period of time. And what they were doing was they were they had the kind of BLA was killing cops. One year we had 13 killed, then we had 11 killed. So they, the captain, uh, Colangelo, said, Bo, come in in plain clothes. Bring your, you have a shotgun? I said, yeah, I got a shotgun. Bring it. You're going to follow the radio cards just in case they get ambushed. That was the beginning of anti-crime. So now we'll fast forward. I had a crew of young guys. We went after all the Columbians. We used to go into the buildings with binoculars, with radios. We weren't plain clothes, but we would put sweatshirts on. We started locking up all these Colombian guys with guns, cocaine, heel, kilos, and all that. Next thing is I get a call from this guy that I met in John Jay College. He said, Bo, they're opening this thing on Randall's Island. It's called uh, Citywide Anti-Crime. It's going to be a top group. 50 guys are going... Would you want to volunteer being a decoy? That means you wear like a suit, see a sucker suit. You walk around the city, you get mugged. I said, damn right, let's do it. So I go over there, and now we're going to cut to the truth. <laughs> I was at one of the original decoys. I was mugged over 500 times. I've been stabbed. I've been shot at, fractured skull, everything alone. 30 times I was hospitalized. And now, I mean, I've had guys shoot at me point blank. With God's will, they missed me. They didn't know how to shoot. But the point I'm trying to get is I was out there. I loved working in one area in all the black and Hispanic neighborhoods where the crime was prevalent. I wanted to help these people. So then they called me and they said, well, Bob, we'd like you to work in organized crime. Now, I had met through Ralph Scope. I met Fat Tony up at the Colonial. Right. I used to drive him up there. So I knew Buckalo. I know more. I, I, I know more. I just, these are guys I met through Ralph Scobo. So I said, I don't want to work in organized crime. What am I going to do? Have dinner with Fat Tony up in Rails and then say, turn around, put your hands behind your back, I'm locking you up. I said, no, leave me on the streets. So I made a real reputation. My partner, my Irish partner and I, we, we went out there. Big case, nun gets raped in a convent in 1981. They carved 27 crosses. They put brooms into her. They, they, they urinate on and leave her. I remember that. This was labeled by Mayor Koch as the most heinous crime in New York history. It was done on a Saturday. We didn't make the papers till Wednesday. And everybody in the world's asking me, they had 200 sharp detectives. We were not involved. We were street anti-crime detectives. So everybody, I go down to Adam's Apple. I see the old man, Felix. He goes, that's your area, Bo. What are you doing about it? Vinnie Rayo says to me, what are you doing about it? Everybody walking to Jimmy West's, Bo, that's your area. So I thought it was like, I have to do it. So I grabbed Tommy. I go to Captain Fortunato at the time. He said, give me three days to work on this. Now, Vinnie Rayo said something to me that the guys that did this come from 125th Street was nothing. But it was like a light went off. This investigation probably is highlighted as the, one of the greatest investigations. We get one in Chicago, in my book, One Tough Cop, the first 90 pages talk about it. We get one in Chicago, one in New York, and then one guy tells me to F my mother. I broke his jaw. Yes, I did. And uh, it was a great case. And our reward for the chief of detectives was putting me in one end of Brooklyn, my partner, the other end of Brooklyn. I always had a problem with the Irish mafia. Wait, wait, hold on one second. Uh, Bo, 
when the, when it happened, how long did it take you to get the guys? All right. So it happened on a Saturday afternoon. Now, my partner, Tommy, and I found out Pete Christensen was on the scene. We said, Pete, what do you got? We don't got nothing, Bo. It's really bad. So now I'm thinking about it. Now, all of a sudden, it's not in the paper. So I tell Tommy, let's look around 115th Street. So we look at the convent. There's a building adjacent with a ladder. I said, you know, these two guys were involved. We knew that. So they couldn't be sex deviant. They don't work in pairs. If you're a sex deviant, you're a sex deviant. So now we're looking for it. And one guy said there was a tall guy and a short guy. And a short guy worked, walked with a limp. Turns out to be a bop. So now we start all these things that are being said. Little lights are going, little lights. So we start working. I asked the captain for three days. And we'll fast forward because we're working. We hit 125th Street, the East River. We hit all these Jamaican smoke places. I smashed counters. You're never going to sell no pot around here. The, the druggies are flushing stuff down the toilet, putting guys' heads in toilets. You're never going to do any more drugs around here. The pimps on Park Avenue, I'm ripping their suits apart saying, unless we catch these guys that raped the nun, you're not going to have one of, one of these hookers on the streets anymore. I'm going to bust your asses, and this will end right now unless we get them. And then we continue. We continue just going up on 25th Street, checking for a tall and a short guy who were burglars, because burglary was the motive in my mind. So next thing is, I meet this old man on the third floor of this house. I think it was 62, 62 East uh, 125th Street. And these kids were in an apartment. They were smoking pot. I go into the bed and pie. Look, we're not locking anybody. We're looking for a tall guy that did burglaries. Oh, he, Chicago is nickname. He lives upstairs. We see this old man. He had a glass eye, and he goes, "I know all about it. If my son had anything to do with that, uh, I'm I'm going to let him know. You want him to call? This is at night. I get a phone call at 10 o'clock. I'm at the Colonial with Fat Tony over there. I'm in a bowl Winnie with white clam sauce, and Tony's got a cigar in his mouth. He goes, "What are you guys doing?" I said, "Tony, we're on it. We're going to get these guys. Don't worry." Next thing, the phone rings. The old man we interviewed wants us to come back. My lieutenant called me. We go back and he goes, look it, my son heard that you were looking for him. And as soon as he heard you looking, he took his hooker girlfriend and they got on a bus at the Port Authority terminal and they were going to Chicago. Now, problem, they're on a bus for about three hours. I really don't have anything but this feeling. Next thing is I get Inspector Sabone and he says, Bo, what do you have? He's, I said, I don't know. I just feel this guy knows something of what happened with that nun. He goes, get on a plane with your partner. Fly out the first flight. 1981 was during the PACO strike. Remember the air traffic controller strike? Right. And Reagan was the president. And next thing that happens is we can't get a flight out to 7 o'clock. What would you do, Chaz? So I go like this. Now it's 2 o'clock in the morning. All the pinky ring detectives are in there. All the sharpshooter guys. Hey, you guys don't got nothing. It's bullshit. Next thing is, I said, what am I going to do? I go to another room. I dial like 315-555-1212 information. I said, can you give me the Chicago Police Department? Chicago Police Department. Give me the detective squad. We don't have detectives. What do you have? Violent crime section. I said, (coughs) I'll never forget it, Chaz. Hi, Sergeant Kelly, violent crime section. I said, Sarge, this is Bo Dietl from New York. I'm a cop in New York. How long have you been on the job? He goes, 26 years. I said, you ever get a feeling? He said, starts laughing. Yeah. So I explained to him. He knew all about it. It was a national story. I said, I need you to put him on surveillance. The bus is supposed to come in around 6 in the morning. We'll be on another flight. 
He says, you got it, Bo. Now we fax him a picture of the guy that we're looking for because Tommy locked him up during a blackout. Next thing is Tommy goes out for some McDonald's breakfast before we fly out. He's walking up the stairs. And next thing is they yell in from the squad room. It was around 530. Bo, Sergeant Kelly, violent crime section, Chicago, police department. Like, what the fuck is it? Next thing, yes, Sergeant. He goes, well, the bus got in early, Bo. I says, oh, damn it. We lost it. Oh, he goes, hey, not so fast. I took him in my car. I took him to where the Great Lake is. I put a shotgun in his mouth and told him he was going to meet his master. And he told me about doing the nun. He gave up the name of the second guy. Well, look, at that nun didn't have too many rights when they were raping and sodomizing and putting brooms into So he gave me the name of the second guy, Max Lindemann. Next thing is we, we, we hop into our office. Tommy had locked him up in a blackout. We go to the first known location where he lived. We actually break the door down, just me and Tommy. It was the wrong apartment. He had moved out a year before. So the people there, I give him my card. I said, don't worry, we'll fix your lock. Next thing is we get the next address. I said, Tommy, go to the door. You're supposed to call for emergency service, all this bullshit. Right. I said, let's take this down ourselves. I go up the fire escape. Tommy's banging on the door. The window's opening up. All of a sudden, I see this big-headed uh, afro coming out. I grab it. Boom, boom, boom. He's coming out. I take him down a fire escape. I cuff him. We bring him into the interrogation room. Now we're asking him questions. Now he said, I don't know what you're doing. And then we start doing the good guy, bad guy. Of course, I'm the bad guy. Tommy's the good guy. Right. And I say like this. I says, you know what? You're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna get the electric chair back for you, baby. And then all of a sudden, he goes like this. He goes, man, I don't like you, you little whatever he called me he goes why don't you go f your mother next thing is he's he's there and he goes look at i never raped her he raped her i was there i said oh my god we got the right guys so me and tommy cut out all the big detectives throw us out of the squad room now we're at the corner bar he rigs it's called 119th street and park and now we start drinking heavily we we're up for three days and then don gentile comes in there for the daily news and he says Bo, I should have known it was you and your partner. He goes, how'd you guys do it? So I just saw this movie, The Blues Brothers, with Bellucci. And they, I said to Don, I said, we were on a mission from God. Right. And that was the headline in the, in the New York, all the papers, two cops on a mission from God. So our, our promotion was, we got every award from the governor, city council, every award. And they transferred Tommy to one end of Brooklyn and me and the other. Because the chief of detectives couldn't take this case and say through intensive investigation, we broke this case. So then I get, st- I'm in Brooklyn and then I become a homicide detective and I'm locking up everybody there. Guy kills five guys, killer. I take him out with a Mac 10 machine gun he has. I had a shotgun, I'm gonna blow your brain. And now a guy kills 10 people, eight children. They're Palm Sunday massacre, 10 people dead. Eight of them were children under the age oh, of God. I was part of a great task force. This we didn't I didn't do it myself. I was part of a great task force. I end up being named as the arresting officer and I'm on the front pages of the papers, the news. Next thing is I'm supposed to get promoted to a better grade detective and all that crap. And the Arabs come in town. I had a bodyguard company and went to Helmsley Palace and they go, Boy, you're so famous. Michael Jackson was in another triplex. There's four triplexes in the Palace Hotel. So uh, Bill Bray was the director of security, ex-cop. He, sa- he says, hey, boy, it's a great case. I said, you think my prince could meet Mr. Uh, the moonwalker there, uh, uh, Jackson? Michael Jackson. He said, bring him over. So we take pictures. Next thing the Arab says, Bo, 
We're going to La Jolla tomorrow. He had a 727. He goes, we'll have big party. We fly to La Jolla. We land in San Diego. Next thing is the Arabs on the phone with Alex the Madam. He hires 20 off-duty actresses. They're not hookers. These are actresses. Pay him $2,500 to go to a party. And that's no bullshit. This is no hookers. These are straight actors. Hey, $2,500 cash for the night. You go to the party too. So now I'm yeah. drinking my vodka. The Arabs say to me, oh, you're so brave. Do you ever jump out of a plane? Fast forward the next day, I got a football helmet on. I'm jumping out of a plane. I don't have an idea what the hell I'm doing, how to land. And that was the end of it. I hit the ground, my leg, broken hip, tibia, fibia. My ankle got broken hip, the bone sticking out. They put a tourniquet and they said, Bo, can you make it back to uh, San Diego? It was a little shit hospital in the middle of the desert. I said, I'll make it back. I get on to the helicopter. We had two Sikorskis. I said, any booze? They go, no. He comes out with a thing like this. It was like a long thing like this. He goes, smoke this. I would have taken heroin. It was hashish. So I smoked the whole thing and I landed and I didn't even know where I was. <coughs> and the next thing is, the girl wow. was taking the information down and said, and what do you do for 11? I, 11? I go, I'm in New York. Homicide detective. And she goes, Yeah, I'm the mayor. So I'm over there in the hospital one month. I'm recuperating a month. I come back with all my injuries. I could have got the tax free three quarters. Wow. I get disgusted. They want me to do light, they want me to do light duty stuff. I hand my wow. papers in. And then I retired. Nicholas Pelleggi calls me up, puts me on a cover of New York magazine. And that in that article, he says the other part of my greatness of my life, he mentions about my table. My table at a famous restaurant oh, really? since 1977. Nicholas Pledgey. I thought everybody wanted to meet me. It was my freaking reservations that they could get everyone from Jack Welch, some of the Reds to Bill Gates, you name them, every actor. We filmed uh, Marty Scorsese, casted all the guys in Goodfellas from the bar. Petey Neck, Johnny Rose Beef, Mikey Black, Frankie, uh, Louie Lip. Everybody got casted. Scorsese was there. He said, Bo, tell everybody to come next week. We'll cast. We casted 18 guys out of Rails. And the rest is history. You know, with Jordan Belfort doing The Wolf of Wall Street, Leonardo DiCaprio. We filmed them Rails. My life, then I ran for Congress in 86. I lost by 20. 500 votes being a congressman. And they had pictures in back me. There's Reagan, Bushy, every president there. And I've had one of the most remarkable lives. And then my acting stuff, I started out with Maniac Cop. That was my first movie, Maniac Cop 1. Then I did Maniac Cop 2. And then I did six Scorsese movies. And I know. And I, you're, you're, you're a true actor. I don't really think I'm an actor, but people... Oh, no, you're good, man. You're good. So my because life, you're natural. I opened this office up 30, uh, uh, 38 years ago. We have one of the leading investigative security companies. I do that. I had a cyber company I stole for $200 million. I was a gambler, too, at one point. I had a really bad vice. But, Bo, how did you feel when you did that scene? Well, I mean, you knew those guys, but now you're in a scene with Pacino and, and Bob and, and the Irishman, right? Yeah. What did that feel like? Let me tell you, as an actor... There's nothing greater than to work with two of the best and right. to be to be like in control of the scene, which right. Marty, let, Marty let me do. And I'm Marty Scorsese, Mr. Scorsese, with all respect. It was one of the most fabulous things. I think that was probably the 
epiphany of, of acting. And, right. uh, you know, we're missing you on The Godfather Home. I played Tommy Lucchese. I got a bigger part now that you're not in there. They don't have to pay your rate. <laughs> they pay the slave rate, my rate. <laughs> oh, that's great, man. No, that, God bless you. Godfather of Harlem was really great then, to do. Then today, I'm still friends with all sides, whether it be police. And if I tell you, I sit with one guy once a week, just got out after 25 years, and we have dinner once a week, every week, and he's one of my dearest friends. I have a good rapport with everybody. They respect me. I never went after organized crime. What they did was what they did. I never did anything for them. I just have a respect factor. And that, that's what it's all about. And right. how you walk that line, you can walk that line and be respected, Chaz. Now, now, Bo, I mean, some of the people would hear your story, and I'm trying to be devil's advocate here. And they might say, oh, my God, man, back then you were allowed to whack guys, punch guys, but you, you got results and you found out who they did it. And now, which I say, hey, okay, you had to do what you had to do. Now the pen, pendulum swung all the other way and now you can't even lock guys up. I mean, I, I hope we could find a balance in the middle. You know what I mean? I, I really have, my heart is really broken for the cops today. You know, whenever they see me, oh, ball, one tough cop and all that. It was a different era. And today, I certainly could not be a cop. And what they're talking about now with this, this uh, where, where cops, if they say they did something wrong, now they could go after you civilly and take your house, take your pension. What the hell do you want to do with it? It's such a horrible, horrible thing, Chaz. And I feel wow. cops. Yeah, what's your. Well, I'm very good friends with the current mayor. I raised right. a lot of money for the last 18 years, state senate. A borough president. I think he's trying. I, I have some idea. He came right out for that door, that store, uh, that store worker, the bodega person. He stuck up for him. I right. think, look, at, we had crap with Big Bird, that jerk that just lost a congressional run. I was so happy to see him. But he destroyed this city for years. I, everyone knocks me because of, I speak up for Eric Adams. I'm praying. I'm waiting to talk with him very soon. I hope that he realizes if he could change this, and part of my thing that I've given them is there is a federal law on the books today. Right now, we have bail reform in New York and all the liberal states. You get a lock a guy out for robbery with a gun. You know what happens? He's right out. Here's what we do, Chaz. We go. We use the federal law. We arrest them. We utilize the U.S. Attorney's Office. We prosecute guns with convicted felons. If you're a convicted felon and you get caught with a gun, a loaded gun, an illegal gun, you get a minimum of 10 years. We start the word to be out there. We start prosecuting. You'll see these shootings go bye-bye, Chaz. Wow. We've got to do something. And I'm staying part of this. I'm retired 38 years ago, but I'm ready to stay part. I told Eric, I'll come back in some form. I don't want wow. no title. I want to help this city come back. I love New York City like you wow. do, Chaz. And that's wow. the way it is. That's great. We're running out of time, but that I, I wanted to hear your shout out about New York because I know how much you love New York. We all do. And I think you're right. The pendulums has to get somewhere in the middle. I need uh, you to do me one favor, Chaz. Sure. I need on your menu, I want you to put Fra Diavolo. I want scugili, calamari, and I want shrimp. I want Fra Diavolo. I want that on the menu, please. And I like a thin linguine. A thin linguine. I got to ask you before you go. And don't, and don't worry. Other than my restaurant, where's your favorite restaurant to go to? Well, I like the New Avra that just opened up. What uh, is the it? New Avra, the New Avra opened up on 6th Avenue, 51st Street. It is gorgeous. Mark Packer, uh, he put a, 
18 million in there, the most beautiful restaurant in New York. And I like uh, uh, Sistina. Sistina on 80th Street, I think it is, or Madison. Yeah. The old Bruno Jamal. Excellent, excellent. That's what I, And I also like that guy down on Houston Street, Bellotto. I like that. Bilotto, yes. When I want a corned beef or pastrami sandwich, there ain't no place better than Cats. That's it. You're right. You're right. You're right. Well, Bo, it's been an absolute pleasure to see you. Uh, you're a real character. You, you got a hell of a story behind you. I want to say thank you. Thank you for loving New York like you do. And uh, don't give up on New York because I think we'll come back. I hope and so. And one more thing. My grandson, little Jackson, Jackson Kane, just got a part in that new Broadway play. About, I think it's Lepolo, Lepold, or something about that, about the uh, Jewish family in Austria. That's fantastic. Yeah, he's, he's, he's six years old. He got a major part. I'm just so damn proud of him, my grandson. Huh? That's the fantastic. That's great. Family's everything. Bo Deedle, you are one of a kind. It was great to see you. I love you, Chaz, and thank you for being such a great New Yorker and a great American. And I know how you feel about cops, and I love you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you.